I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the RHS Gardening Podcast. Every fortnight we bring you a mixture of features and discussions exploring every aspect of gardening, plant care, pest control, container ideas, growing your own fruit and vegetables, plus expert seasonal advice on what you should be doing in your garden right now. I'm Jenny Bowden, one of the team of horticultural advisors here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Coming up in this edition... RHS experts answer your seasonal gardening questions, an exclusive tour of the brand new Winter Garden Walk, which is being developed as an exciting new attraction here at RHS Garden Wisley, and the latest news on events across our four RHS gardens. But first, let's head out into the gardens here at RHS Garden Wisley to find out what jobs the horticultural teams are tackling right now. Hi, it's Bernard Boardman here. I looked after ponds at Wisley for uh, quite a long time, especially had care of the water lily collection in front of the laboratory. Now is a time of year when you don't actually have to do an awful lot of work in the pond, but it's a good time to be just having a little tidy up sort of round the edges. Just cut back all the old herbaceous uh, growth that's sort of flopping into the water because what I found can often happen is that frogs will start to spawn in amongst it and then when you want to get rid of that old growth you've got to start disturbing the frog spawn so just have a little tidy up round the sides we've had a very mild winter and if it carries on like this I would expect to see frogs spawn quite early in the spring the other thing you can do is take advantage of the fact that the water is usually quite clear at this time of the year there's not a lot of algae growth and especially when it's nice and calm you can see right down into the bottom of the pond and you'll be able to see your water lilies and any other marginal plants in their pots and you'll be able to see whether they're sort of overcrowded whether they're trying to escape from the pots especially some of the water lilies are a bit like bamboos and they will produce runners. If your water lily is doing that, it might be time to start thinking about repotting it. So you can have a look into the pond, see what you think's going on, and you don't have to get in, you don't have to get cold, don't disturb anything. The fish, if you keep them, will be down sort of in the bottom of the pond, keeping warm. Uh, so you don't want to upset them. Just have a tidy round and enjoy it. 
Hello, my name's Lucy Tate and I'm team leader here at RHS Garden Wisley looking after the herbaceous ornamental team. It's February and we're getting stuck into some of our preparation for the year ahead with birch cutting. Birch and hazel um, and other dormant surplus saplings can be used to stake your herbaceous material in a more ornamental fashion to prevent them falling over in the later summer months. So if you harvest them now where they're all dormant and none of the leaf has broken, you'll have some good material nice and flexible to use in March. The most useful material to use for this purposes is one to two year old growth and you want to cut it right down to the base uh, close to the ground so you're not leaving any pegs to trip over. Scrubland is particularly good if you've got any wilderness patches where even ash trees or other saplings, birch, have, have taken hold. You can actually clear the way a bit and have material for staking. If you want to do this on a more considered way you could plant at this time of year a little hazel or a birch coppice so just get some saplings from your local garden center and plant them out for harvesting next year. My name is Mario and I work in the vegetable garden at RHS Wisley. Here we are on sandy soil and so it's convenient to finish ground preparation if it's not been done before and there are some crops that can be started in indoor on a windowsill or a, in a small propagator. Uh, things like uh, aubergine, celeriac, they really need to be sown now. And some, some of the chilies, they also need to be started now in a propagator. In the ground, things like broad beans can be sown and spinach and we can start thinking about sowing radishes, which are the crops that are more hardy. So if we get another cold spell, they will not be affected that much. If you think that the ground is still a bit too cold, can be covered with, uh, with plastic, with polythene, and uh, that will anticipate the sowing time by a couple of weeks leave the polythene for a couple of weeks and by mid-February you'll be able to sow early crops like spinach, carrots, radishes, uh, salad leaves, which are more tolerant to, to a cold spell. And after sowing, it's good practice to cover the crop. First, to increase the resistance to a cold spell. And secondly, to protect them from any early outbursts of pests such as carrot root fly or flea beetle for the radishes spinach. You can find more gardening tips and guides to seasonal jobs in the garden on the RHS website rhs.org.uk forward slash gardening. One of the comments we often hear from repeat visitors to our RHS gardens is how much they enjoy seeing the gardens constantly evolve. Every year, the expert garden teams demonstrate new techniques, refine the plant displays and design and develop stunning new garden areas. This year, one of the projects the garden team here at Wisley are undertaking is designing a new winter garden walk. Garden manager Matthew Pottage showed us how the project is coming along.
So I want to tell you a bit about our winter walk, we're calling it today. At Wisley, we still gain a lot of visitors throughout the whole winter months, throughout the whole calendar year. And throughout January and February, when a lot of people would think the garden is asleep, there are still a lot of plants that you can enjoy scent and colour and just enjoy you know, the texture and the form of them. So between the glass houses at Wisley and the main cafe, our food hall cafe, we do have a lot of kind of visitor traffic. The paths here are hard paths so people can walk them in the winter months without getting soggy feet on the grass. And there's obviously two main attractions. We've got all the delicious offering of the cafe. And then people always want to see the glass house throughout the year. So what we thought we would do is build up pockets of winter interest along this route. And rather than just have a set specific area that we call the winter garden, we actually thought it would be nice to have like a long walk. And the beauty of Seven Acres is we've already got established trees and shrubs that are very beautiful in their own right. And then we thought to interject them with pockets of colour and of scent just to pull people along that path and, and give them something to stop and talk about during those those darker months, those colder days when people are braving our walk at Wisley. And and things we've started to use, and we've started to actually do a lot of planting this autumn, have been hammermelis, the witch hazel. We've got those in big numbers. We've actually got every AGM Award of Garden Merit um, hammermelis on the walk, so there's quite a lot to see. And some of those are planted in very big, intense groups, and they're planted very close together. And you'll see, goodness, they look so close. And they will be actually kept pruned to stimulate flowering wood, heavy flowering, and big groups en masse just to have a, a wow factor about them. We've also got smaller groups of more choice plants like Daphne's for their scent, and we've also mixed in some heathers and some conifers. And, and some people may think, oh, you know, dated planting, heathers, conifers, there's something that happened in the 70s. We've actually mixed those up with other plants in the mixed herbaceous borders and along some of the shrubs as well. So they look quite different. So, well, come and be the judge for yourselves. We've got a lot of stuff gone in this autumn. Everything obviously looks quite new. It looks quite small, but we're hoping to get some flower colour. And we've also planted quite a lot of winter and spring bulbs, like winter aconites and snowdrops, and also dwarf iris. So they should be popping up around some of the trees and some of the plantings too. So do have a walk around here. It's mainly on seven acres, like I say, between a glass house and the main cafe on seven acres and and follow this along because it'll just get better as time progresses wisley garden manager matthew pottage will be following the winter walk project as it progresses through the year if you fancy visiting one of our four rhs gardens in the coming weeks here are some current attractions and events to try out Come to RHS Garden Rosemore on the 12th of February between 10.30 and 4.30 for a course in willow weaving. Learn basic and useful willow weaving skills and create a sturdy plant support, ideal for the vegetable garden or a decorative support for sweet peas or other climbing annuals. Learn all about hellebores on the 15th of February, again between 10.30 and 4.30, at RHS Garden Rosemore from expert plantsman and nurseryman Hugh Nunn and see the hellebores flowering in the garden. Talks are at 11.30am and 2.30pm, followed by a guided walk in the RHS garden to see hellebores growing in a garden setting. There's fun for all the family at all four RHS gardens this February half-term. From the 15th to the 23rd of February, discover the world of butterflies here at RHS Wisley. At RHS Hyde Hall, Rosemore and Harlow Carr, enjoy scarecrow-themed fun, including trails, competitions and stories. 
Details of all these events, as always, are on the website at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens. Remember, as an RHS member, you can get free entry to all our four RHS gardens, Harlow Carr in Yorkshire, Hyde Hall in Essex, Rosemore in Devon and here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey. Now, if you're a regular listener to the RHS Gardening podcast, you'll already know our experts from the advisory team here at Wisley join us regularly to answer your gardening questions. The RHS advisory service is free for all RHS members, and if you have any questions you'd like to hear answered on the podcast, you can email them to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk. Let's join my colleagues in the RHS advisory team to hear advice on some of your seasonal questions. My name is Jeff Denton. I'm one of the plant pathologists at the Royal Horticultural Society. My name is Tony Dickerson. I'm a horticultural advisor here at the RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Jenny Bowden and I'm one of the horticultural advisors at RHS Garden Wisley. I'm Lee Hunt. I'm the principal horticultural advisor here at RHS Garden Wisley. We've had an inquiry from Mr L Neep of Leicester. Will all the rain have washed away the nutrients in the soil? And do I need to start feeding my roses? Are there any other plants that would benefit from boosting? So quite a lot of things around what to do with feeding there and how best to get the most out of the food. What do you think, Tony? What, um, particularly this issue of washing away nutrients in the soil. Mm. Well, c- certainly early in the season, uh, nitrogen will be at very low levels naturally in the soil, let alone with all the rain that we've actually had. At the moment, uh, you'd be looking to feed most deciduous uh, trees and shrubs uh, from the end of February and perhaps evergreens a little bit later. Although having said that, a lot of mature trees and shrubs, one just would not worry about feeding. There are exceptions, those plants where you're pruning them hard back or cutting away last year's foliage and removing it. So those plants will need replenishing and some nutrients in the early growing season. And uh, as for roses, Jenny... Oh, I'd give roses a feed in March. Um, It's a fairly uh, slow-release fertiliser, which will last them up until June, and then you would feed them again. Um, There are products specifically for roses, which are going to be quite high in potassium, which is going to encourage uh, the flowering. So um, just tickle it into the surface of the compost in March and make sure the soil is moist when you put the fertiliser on. And that should do you until June when they need a bit of extra support again and reapply it. And that should take you through the rest of the season. I'm going to add as well that Yes, you do need feeding to boost plants, but remember that a lot of soils are actually very rich, particularly in things like the the basic uh, phosphorus and potassium. So if you're not getting good plant growth, particularly when you applied those other fertilisers, do also remember that feeding the soil with things like well-rotted organic matter, so compost manure, might make that big difference because if it's not hospitable, the nutrients are not going to make the nth degree of difference that it really does need that sort of boost of the the soil conditions as well as the actual fertilizers that's perhaps a a useful point to make that compost well-rotted manure and so on are a very good slow release low level uh, nutrient source the other thing of course about organic matter is that humus in it actually holds on to nutrients that would otherwise yes very readily wash out and be lost from the soil 
So continuing, we have an email here from uh, Sharon Goldsmith and she's in Leeds and she says, my lavender has flopped over and looks all dead and woody in the middle. Should I prune it hard back to encourage it to regain its shape and vigour? We get asked this kind of question quite a lot and different plants have very different reactions to being hard pruned. Um, unfortunately, lavenders aren't too happy about it. Um, it depends how old it is. If they're very, very young, um, then they can be pruned a little bit more. But this one sounds like it's a little bit more mature and would not appreciate being cut back hard. Um, what would you mm. say, Lee? I, there's a guiding principle for me. When I look into the centre of the bush, if I can see some lower shoots, then I know I can cut back to those and they will grow. If they're not there, I'm always very suspicious and often fine with lavender that you cut them back into bare wood and then nothing happens, so you end up with bare branches or dead bits. So I think it, it's use the information's there and if you can see the shoots, trim back to them. You've got that reassurance and you don't have to sit there looking at a looking at nothing for a long time. You might as well hedge just just take take it out and start again. And uh replanting lavender, a really good tip is to plant them as nine centimetre size pots. Buy them very young. So that's three inch three inch diameter pots. Get them in, in April, so you get a full season to get their feet down and you'll have them bushier for much longer. And then the following year, prune them quite hard back, which is what I was describing earlier. And then they'll they'll have an everlasting youth. Well, not everlasting, but it'll keep them younger for a lot longer. I mean, one tip on planting lavender, they're often grown in organically rich compost. Very good idea to tease a lot of that out. It's often very different from people's soils. And what people often find is that that material either gets saturated with water or the soil around it actually wicks out the moisture. So certainly with lavender and rosemary, a lot of these Mediterranean plants, if the compost in which they're grown appears to be uh, very organically rich, tease it out and uh, plant uh, with that material removed. Right, we have an email here from John Carr. Our new house has a large wisteria, he is told, on its garage. Apparently, I should be pruning it about now. How should I go about it? I'm afraid of causing damage as I'm new to gardening. Uh, Well, Lee, wisteria is a very popular topic for us. We get a lot of questions about how to prune wisterias, largely because it's connected to trying and encouraging them to make them flower really well. And getting the pruning regime right does mean that they will bloom more successfully. At this time of year, the first thing really is looking at that overall framework. Is it a mess? Is there too much? If there is, the first thing is to try and um, rationalise it. So if you've got a framework underneath, ideally some wires or a trellis, try and get some well-spaced horizontal stems going out. And then past that, you're thinking about cutting things back. So if you've got long, whippy growth, you're shortening that right back to two, three buds. If you've got excessive growth, so long stems that you don't need, it's now also the time to consider cutting those out. You might need a pair of loppers or a little pruning saw for that, but really that's keeping it within bounds. The same if there's any dead growth as well, that can come out. But the key point if you're not doing all this restoration is um, that you're trying to get those short little stumps, those long stems that grew last summer that you might have shortened back if you'd been on top of it last September, you're shortening back just to the two, three buds. And those little stumps are where the flowers are going to come. 
Okay. Um, we have near a letter here from Lee Nielsen, and it's a very nice short one, actually. How and why do you chip potatoes? Well, uh, chitting potatoes is actually allowing the tubers to actually uh, produce some sprouts. And uh, first of all, it's done using trays. You need to unpack your potatoes and place them in the trays. If you look carefully at a potato tuber, on one end you'll find a small circular uh, scar, and that's where the tuber was actually attached to the rest of the potato when it was in the ground. At the other end, you'll see lots of what we call eyes, where little sprouts will actually develop uh, if the uh, potato is placed in good light in trays. So you you place the potatoes with the scar end down um, in rows, in trays, in good light, not baking sunlight or uh, in particularly warm conditions. You want a cool room and over two, three, four weeks, they'll gradually produce small, compact sprouts. The reasoning for that, Lee, can you give us a bit of background about why we would go to all this trouble? Um, It's largely about yields. If you can get them into growth and get them nice and compact, because I think we've all seen them perhaps in the salad drawer or when you pull them out from under the sink where they're all long and white. Those are not what we want because we want really to get that growth going um, so that when we come to plant them out, they're already got that head start. And we know that it will increase the crop later on as well. So really, it's just a way of, of getting things going. William Harding has sent us a letter and he says he's worried about reports of hellebore black death. What is this terrifying sounding disease and how do I spot it? How do I treat it? How do I prevent it? I have many much loved hellebores and I want to keep them going. Jeff, what do you think about that? Well, hellebore black death does have a very dramatic name of most of the diseases that we have. Um, but it is actually quite accurate, unfortunately. It's a virus that affects um, hellebores, mostly Helleborus orientalis. And what it will do is it will cause black markings on the leaves. Mostly, these tend to be along the veins and will cause the plant to subsequently have distorted growth. And actually, over time, can cause them to gradually get smaller, lose energy, and they'll just disappear in your garden. So it will cause them death. Unfortunately, with all virus problems that we have in gardens, there's no fungicide treatment um, that's available. So the only thing we can recommend is to remove the plants as you see them, particularly as it sounds here, if you've got a collection of hellebores and you don't want it to spread. One thing that is worth noting, though, is at the moment, it's thought that this virus is spread um, by an insect vector. So if you are seeing aphids or insects on your hellebores, it's worth trying to treat those and therefore you might try and prevent the spread of this virus going to other hellebores in your garden. How do you think they would initially get it? Where would it come from? Is it You're saying about the, the aphids, but is that the most likely cause? From the ones I've seen, it could be coming in from the aphids, um, but there is also the possibility that it could come at low levels with plants. Um, it's very difficult to find out where a virus comes from. Um, and they... I haven't seen any research to look at the survival of it. So I haven't seen whether it's able to survive in plant debris or just around in the garden. So it is always worth properly clearing up, not just getting it and putting it on your home compost and actually destroying the plant material. We have an email here from um, Bruce P who asks, are there any flowers or plants that can bring colour to my patch in February? That's a very good question. And... um, I wonder whether Lee's got any thoughts on that. 
First and foremost, I think I've got to go for the snowdrop. It's obviously one of the most obvious choices, but um, there are so many different types that you can go for. Uh, starting in January, I've already had the uh, larger ones, the Elwesii types, the giant snowdrop out in flower. And now already they're beginning to be joined by a whole tribe. And uh, I love the ones called Viridipicus, where you get these little, uh, the normal little petals that point outwards to the side and their tops are just tinged with green. So really, they're just one of those wonderful little heralds of spring. But at the same time, such variety that they're worth getting up close and having a look because you will find that they're doubles, that they're singles, that they've got little faces on the petals, that they have a wonderful sweet smell. So they are, I can see why you get this term galanthophile, where you get people growing hundreds of different varieties. But even if you don't feel like doing that, having three or four, I certainly think is worthwhile in the garden. I think I would go for a couple of shrubs to uh, to grow my snowdrops underneath. So I was thinking Chimonanthus might be a rather good choice. There's one called uh, Chimonanthus praecox, isn't it? Um, which has got little little bell-shaped yellowish flowers and highly, highly scented. Um, so worth having near the front door uh, with, of course, your snowdrops planted underneath it. The leaves aren't incredibly memorable for the rest of the year, but it is worth having just for that incredible scent. Um, and also I would still be looking at Sarcococca will still be flowering in February, which is filling the gardens here at Wisley with scent at the moment. It's absolutely incredible. Christmas box is the common name of Sarcococca, and Chimonanthus has the common name of, it is known as winter sweet. Um, Lanicera, which is a type of honeysuckle, is normally known as a climber, but there are also shrub versions. So you can get honeysuckle as as a shrub. And there's one called Winter Beauty, which should still be flowering in February. So I might consider one of those as well. So you can have a scent-filled garden and you can plant your snowdrops underneath. And you might like to add in some um, iris reticulata um, bulbs. Uh, well, not the bulbs, you'll be buying the plants at this time of year. And tete-a-tete, a, a nice early flowering daffodil little daffodil again uh, if bruce has a large garden and if he's fortunate enough to have an acid soil he might consider hamamelis the witch hazels are fantastic at this time of year with their spidery flowers especially if they're set off against the dull gray skies which are so typical um if something like that is a little bit too big and typically they can have a height and spread of at least 15 feet so they're not the ideal shrubs for small gardens then you might consider something like Mahonia japonica which has very upright form nice evergreen attractive leaves yellow flowers uh, for something in the way of a deciduous tr- uh, shrub um, Viburnum bodnatense uh, dawn is the one that most people know but there's a, another one from the same cross called Charles Lamont and again very attractive pom-poms of pale pink flowers and again very cheerful at this time of year when gardens can look particularly dull and overcast. Dogwood is looking fantastic at the moment with the various different coloured stems they have available so there's a beautiful yellow red green even going down to almost the dark purples and they're looking fantastic. I think it's very easy isn't it we we focus so much on flowers but as Jeff says there um, stems and bark are fantastically interesting over winter and a very good basis for a winter garden and of course um, there's the the Himalayan birches um, uh, Utilis Jack Montii if you're getting one always a good idea to get a a named form Doran Boss 
Snow Queen. Uh, those will have been specially selected and propagated, and you can uh, guarantee that you'll get a brilliant white-barked uh, betula or birch, which will provide many, many, many years of interest. The RHS Advisory Team. Remember, RHS members can contact the team by phone, email or letter for free help with any gardening queries. If you'd like details on how you can become a member of the RHS, just go to rhs.org.uk forward slash join. We're out of time on this edition of the RHS Gardening Podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, remember to follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Jenny Bowden and the team here at RHS Garden Wisley in Surrey, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.